The Lord definitely works in mysterious ways. The first line of that hymn, I am not skilled to understand what God hath willed, what God hath planned. The first words of what I'm speaking is, who does the Lord have in mind to serve him? We don't understand. We go along with what the direction of our life, what happens to come into our life. Uh, I can only speak for myself. And I'm going to repeat some things that you folks have heard. Uh, I spoke a couple weeks at Awana. I didn't get into what I wanted to get in, but I had an overview. What does the Lord have in mind for me? And you can all ask that same question. Uh, I have been saved from death many, many times. As a firefighter, uh, going to fires, uh, in floods, and I showed some specific examples to the kids uh, on a newspaper in Whittier of me and the water being pulled out of a flooding situation. In uh, the army, with a man with an M16, a soldier, on full automatic aimed at my chest. Many times I have been saved from death, and why? Why would that be? All I can say is it is my sincere belief that that was for me to be here today, that was for maybe for me to be serving at Western Assembly's home, I will serve the Lord until my time comes. I don't know what he has in store for me. If you know what he has in store for you, you're a much better person than I am. You're able to understand some things. As a child, I remember at a construction site, riding my bike out into the street without looking and having a car skid to stop. I remember... Uh, just so many times that that had happened. And we'll go over John 4, just some thoughts in that. I'm not going to go through the scriptures on it. John 4, a Samaritan woman who should have nothing to do with a Jew uh, at Jacob's well. In verse 6, it says, The Lord is tired. So his physical body walking this earth, he took a break. He sat down to take a break from his travels. She came out in the heat of the day, in verse 7, to draw water from the well. This was not normal for them. They don't come out in the middle of the heat of the day. A stranger she wouldn't talk to, the Lord, says, give me water. It goes through to where the Lord asks her questions. He says, go and bring your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you've had a bunch of them. He gives the number. She says, how do you know these things? It goes on that in verse 25, 20, or 25, she says, the Messiah is coming. In verse 26, he says, I am he. I am the Messiah. 
So in John 4, we have a person that is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that we know of. Not a believer. She knows about the Messiah is coming. As she's there, she says, I'm going back to town. She goes to the town. She talks to everyone in the town. In verse 39 and 40, it says, many believed. The Lord can use any person, any situation, to honor himself. Many were saved by a circumstance where people come together, a woman in the afternoon, talking to someone she shouldn't have been talking to, and many are saved. Now, a story I've given a few times, because it has made such an impression on me, is in verse 37. Verse 37 says, The Lord says, One sows and another reaps. Bruce Collins, he's spoken here a few times. He has a testimony that he went to a college. He was speaking at that college in a Bible study uh, situation. Over a two-year period, two men were saved. Two men accepted the Lord. He was disillusioned. Years later, maybe 10 years later, he goes into a Panera Bread, some kind of a place like that. And as he walks by to order, he sees a man playing with a computer, working on the computer. And it's Bible verses. So he stops and his question is, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, I am. It ends up, the man says, I'm a pastor of a 4,000-person church. They talk more. He says, I was saved by a man that was saved at a Bible study in a college where over two years only two men were saved. One man sows, another man reaps. So in this situation with Bruce, he did not know that this was basically his grandson in the Lord. His son in the Lord was one of those two men. Those, uh, that man, one of those men, went on and was a witness for the Lord. The Lord has a purpose in Bruce's life, in the man that was saved life, and in the man that was preaching to 4,000 people an opportunity that was pretty well fantastic. I went to the Workers' Elders Conference in October. And uh, when I came back, I stopped at Midway. It was one of those double flight things. I was pretty hungry. As I went to get a bite to eat, I ordered my food. I looked, every table was taken, and this is a big area. One man was sitting by himself. There were a few tables where this was. This happened to be an African-American man, a very big man. And I went up to him, and I, I, the Lord told me, go sit with this man. And I did. The first thing I asked him is like Bruce Collins. I said, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And he goes, I am. I go to church all the time. And I thought, this is fantastic. And we started talking. Well, he lives in Texas. He came from Chicago. When he flew out of Chicago to Texas, he goes to a church in Texas. When he's back in town with his family, he goes to a church in uh, Chicago. We talked quite a bit. It, to me, it sounded like he is on fire for the Lord. This guy is a true Christian believer. Well, the more I talked to him, and I said, I just came back from a conference where there were four sessions on Paul. And his question was, who is Paul? Who is Paul? I asked the same question to the Iwana kids. One young girl who's African-American, and her last name is Chance, <laughs> said, he's the one that killed a lot of Christians. We're going to go through today some of the life of Paul. But we're also going to look at irony. The Bible is full of irony. Irony can be something good, something funny, something terrible. Now, an example I didn't want to give is I went into this restroom between meetings. And I look, and there's no hook to hang your coat. Not one. So I took my coat off, and I thought, well, I'm not going to wash my hands till later. So I laid it on the, the sink, and I hear, do you know we have an electric soap dispenser <laughs> in there? Now that's irony. I was wiping off soap off the back of my coat. So you can look at that later. It is kind of cool up here. <clears throat> Irony is when you're driving down the freeway at 75 miles an hour and somebody passes you at 100 and you turn around and you tell your wife or your husband, that guy's crazy and you get pulled over for a ticket. Now that's irony. Uh, that's, that's not a good irony, but that's irony. What is the most shoplift, shoplifted book in the world. It's the Bible. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. The man that invented the stop sign never drove and never had a driver's license. He also invented the one-way street. Had nothing to do with a car ever. Uh, he never took a driver's license test. The Bible has many instances of irony. And Paul, like he says, he's the chief sinner. Paul is full of irony in scripture. The book of Esther. Haman built a gallows to hang Mordecai. Who got hung on that gallows? Haman. Now that's really irony for Haman. Uh, the question is, which one of us can be used for the Lord's purposes? We've already looked at Bruce Collins. 
we've looked at the Samaritan uh, woman. Uh, we're going to look at Paul. Can you imagine standing in school or standing at work and sharing with your fellow worker about the Lord Jesus Christ? What would happen? Probably nothing. At this point, uh, like in my case, in the fire department, you can't do that. Uh, you, you need to do that very quietly and among brothers. It's very difficult because they have a rule saying what you can do and what you can't do. You can still get around that. But we have such an opportunity to share with Scripture and share with other people. When we look at people in Iran, in China, sharing the gospel, they can be killed. We do see that in Scripture. And if we look at Acts 7, and if we get to uh, Acts 7, 54, we look at the life of Stephen, the end of the life of Stephen. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. He had been sharing the gospel. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is the end of his life. And he is seeing the Lord. He's seeing the Father. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. They didn't want to hear about it. When we consider stoning, and I have an example here, the, if you're considering stoning, is it this kind of an idea? Small, small little pebbles? The stoning of Stephen, would be more like this. Consider a hundred people around you and a rock coming from the back hitting you in the head or the front or two, three rocks at a time. Stoning was a brutal, brutal way to die. There are, in some places, a price you pay for sharing with the Lord, or about the Lord. But it's all to his glory. And we see in this example right here when this starts, in verse 58, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. Now was this a legal, something that followed a legal proceeding? The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, were introduced to Paul, Saul. He's an accomplice to murder. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. If we consider the thoughts of Andrew at the airport, who is Paul? Paul's a murderer. 
Because if you're an accomplice, it's just like you did it. He was part not only of the murder of Stephen, but of the murder of Christians, the new Christian church that had just started, recognized as the way. So as we're looking at this, we think this man is, in our thoughts, he'd be going to hell. He's part of this. All we see is his feet. The witnesses' robes were laid at his feet, Paul's feet. It goes on to say, they went on stoning Stephen, and they called on the Lord and said, Lord, or he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. If we look at the thought of, again, irony in Scripture, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In Luke 23, 46, the Lord in a loud voice says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Stephen is echoing what the Lord is going to be saying. He's seen the Lord. He's seen the Father. He's being stoned. He's being killed. He's dying. Then he says in verse 60, Falling on his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Luke 23:34, the Lord Jesus, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We see in Scripture so many times things that relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this case, Stephen has two comments that he makes. Uh, the irony of Paul is that his life does not start off on a good pathway. It starts off on a very poor pathway. We start in Acts seeing the life of Paul. If we look through scripture, there's no story of Paul's birth. There's no history of him as a child. This is the first time we see Paul. And his name is Saul. We see him at an execution of a Christian, of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, later in Acts 14, Paul is not part of a stoning. He's the object of being stoned. So Paul's life, you can look at all the starts and all the things, and there's something later in Scripture that's exactly the same that affects Paul as the person, the object of what is happening. In Acts 14, verse 19, <clears throat> but Jews came from Antioch, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. Now this is a miracle. 
Stephen, you saw the, the rocks that were used, the stones that were used to kill Stephen. There'd be no difference in the stoning of Paul. Verse 20, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up, entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. A miracle in the life of Paul, the one that stoned because he was there, but he had part of it. And we'll see that in 8.1. Uh, he had part of that. The same thing happens to him, and he gets up and walks away. The Lord had a plan for Paul's life. And we see that in 13 books of scripture that are written. We see that in the story in the book of Acts. If you want to understand about Paul, you have to go through maps, you have to go through Acts, and you have to go through 13 other books of the Bible. It's the only way you're going to figure out Paul, everything that had to do with Paul and what he did. And Saul, he doesn't die because the Lord has a purpose for his life. Uh, we'll be going between 14 and 8, so keep those in your, like I should have done. In verse 8, 1, the reason we look at Paul as being a very vital part of what happened Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. You held the coats. They, the coats were at the feet from the witnesses. You're in hearty agreement. You're part of the stoning. You're part of the death that happens there. Uh, in verse 8-2... It says, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, making havoc with the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Now look at Acts 14. In verse 27, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done. So in verse 8-3, he is entering house to house, and he's ravaging the church. In 14, he's bringing everybody together, actually in 20, verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up, entered the city. The next day, he went away with, okay, I've gotten mixed up here. Oh, in 2020, I'm sorry, not 1420. Verse 2020. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. The irony, again, with Paul 
He goes house to house to get the Christians, to put them in prison, and he gathers them house to house in a preaching setting. Paul is a man that the Lord uses to open the door to the Gentiles. Paul is called Paul of Tarsus. Scripture sets a precedent with people's names. And just a few, Matthew the tax collector, John the Baptist, Philip the evangelist, Many times, uh, Herod the Great, David the King, Paul of Tarsus. Paul is not only just Paul of Tarsus. If we consider nine times, Paul is called Paul the Apostle. Paul himself says, I'm an apostle commanded by the Lord, under the commandment of the Lord. Two times, he's Paul the preacher Two times Paul the, pre- the teacher. Five times Paul the prisoner. Now who would call yourself, I'm Paul the prisoner? But if we had looked at uh, Acts 23.18, the captain describes him as Paul the prisoner. A major portion of Paul's life is in prison. Eight Three, he's putting Christians in prison. The majority of his life, he is in prison. And if we consider, they came to stone Paul. Where is Paul the safest? In prison. And where does he write the majority of the epistles? In prison. The Lord has a path for Paul. And that was in prison. He was safe there. Many other ways uh, Paul was protected. Paul was Greek or Roman, but he was also a Jew. In the fact that uh, he was from the area of Tarsus, where they made tents with the black hair from the goats. They still do that today, the nomads exactly still do that today. Being a Roman citizen, he had a get out of jail free card. Now that didn't work a few times because he didn't play the card until later. He was beat, he was put in prison. But again, By being thrown in prison, which we're studying on Wednesday nights right now, many families were saved because of his ministry, his singing in the jail. Paul is on a new path. He's not on that path that he was on originally. Paul took great pride in the fact that he was a Jew, that he could talk about the Lord Saul's uh, Jewish name is Paul. His Greek name is Saul. So there was no change in names. He was Paul and Saul. He was both. In Acts 13.9, Luke says Saul, who is called Paul. 
In Acts 22.3, Paul himself I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city, educated under uh, Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. If we consider the rabbi that he was brought up under, and again, at the feet of this man. So another thing irony goes through scripture is how many times the feet of Paul or the feet of someone else that he is involved with. Paul, if he would have continued because uh, uh, this man was a teacher and a lawyer. If Paul would have continued this line of teaching, this pathway, he would have been in the Sanhedrin. He would have been with the masters of the religion of the Jews. You might even call it their Supreme Court. That's Paul's direction if he would not have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord wouldn't have intervened in his life. He was, it was the strictest sect of the Jews that Paul was involved in. Paul has totally, as a, 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 not a Christian, sold out to the religion of the Sanhedrin. He, Paul was one that is 100% in on what he's doing. When he had the interaction with the Lord, why are you doing this to me? He went 100% the other way. Paul has a new, path, uh, a new pathway. He is now from the number one enemy of the Lord, a, per a persecutor of the church. He's now putting Christians out of their homes. He's putting them into prison. He feels if he puts Christians in prison, this attack on his religion will stop. Well, he becomes a believer. The irony is that his wrong pathway becomes the proper, the correct pathway. In Acts 9.1 is when the Lord interacts with Paul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest so he's not only saying, well, let me get these guys where they are around here. He says, I ask for a letter to the synagogues at Damascus, 150 miles away, so that if he found any belongings, any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This man was a zealot. He was after the Christians. The Lord says in verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we know 
that if you persecute a Christian, a person of the way, you're persecuting the Lord. He says that in Scripture. Later on in, in verse 12, Paul has a vision of a man named Ananias. The Lord had told Ananias, go to the straight street. See a man that is praying. Paul has that vision. And Ananias, in verse 13, he goes, you bet I'm going. Actually, he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to you and your saints at Jerusalem. And here... He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is saying, I don't want to go. Whoa. Paul has the authority. He had asked for that. He had a letter. He can go out anywhere he wants to go and get Christians. Paul ends up Proclaiming Jesus to those in Damascus. Paul has, I don't know if I'd want to have that experience. Paul has an experience from the Lord telling him, I have a purpose for your life and I want you to do it. Paul goes on. Uh, On to the point that the Jews now, who were following him, are now plotting against him. We see that he gets stoned. Because as zealous as he was against the Christians, as zealous he is as a Christian. Many, many are saved but in verse 26, the disciples are afraid of him. If someone was killing everybody around the neighborhood here and then walked in the door and said, I'm one of you, it'd be difficult. If it wasn't for Barnabas stepping up and saying, I've seen what this guy does, he is one of us. Again, the pathway for Paul and the pathway for Barnabas are different. If it wasn't for Barnabas, I'm sure someone else would have stepped up. Barnabas was used to open doors for Paul so that Paul could continue to serve the Lord. If we look at a light and we're in the middle of Georgia at night, that light is going to draw so many bugs. So many bugs. The Christian light of the gospel is going to do the same thing. If we are out sharing the gospel, spreading good news, that might be at snow. That might be at Awana. That might be knocking on doors. Is that what the Lord has us to do? If that's the door that's open for you, it just might be. We are going to draw every bad bug that there possibly is because the gospel light is shining. If you are serving the Lord, if people are being saved, 
and not by you, by the Holy Spirit. We're merely a tool, a vessel. That's all we are. We are going to have Satan jumping at the bit. If this assembly is showing love to every person that comes in, if we are sharing the gospel with every person that comes here, Satan's going to be knocking on the door. And we have to watch for that. You have to watch for that. The Jews envied Paul. Paul was drawing large groups of people. People were listening. People were watching him. People were being saved. If you are taken away from a false religion, I, I'm going to be upset at you. You're taking away my people. Paul was envied. That's why Paul ended up being stoned, attacked, put in prison. In 13 and 14, uh, chapters 13 and 14, Paul has one consistent message. He preached the word. He didn't add to it. He didn't take away of it. Thirteen times in those two chapters, it says Paul preached the word. He preached the word. We have that responsibility in this assembly to preach the word from the pulpit. To preach the word to the kids at Awana, Sunday school, TNT, brigades, snow. That's our responsibility. When he is preaching the word of God, he was preaching grace. Over and over, he preaches grace. Paul, who was a zealot for the law, and he was consumed by the law, the irony now is he's teaching grace. He turns away from those things. Paul's life is 180 degrees on everything he does. He's going this way 100 miles an hour. He's going this way 100 miles an hour. Paul continues teaching, and we get to uh, chapter 15 and verse 35. He continues teaching and preaching the word even after their journey. If we consider a lot of us, when we retire, when we think we get too old, some circumstance in our life, okay, that's it, I'm done, I can't be used of the Lord anymore. Paul starts another missionary journey. Paul says, you know what? Let's go out and check on everybody that we've checked on and everything that we've set up, and let's see how they're doing. Let's see if they have elders in place. Let's see how they are serving the Lord. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. Paul keeps going. When Paul's in prison, does he just say, woe is me? He writes the epistles. And the one thing we were talking about, he gets thrown in prison. He doesn't tell him he's a Roman citizen. He gets beat. 
He's in prison. What do they do? They sing. Him and Silas. The guard, captain of the guard is listening to this. There's an earthquake. Paul, as the, the captain is going to kill himself, says, "Don't. we're all here. Don't kill yourself. That captain's family and him are all saved. Our work for the Lord is never finished. Look for the opportunity. If you don't look for the opportunity, you've given up on him. He hasn't given up on you. Part of my testimony is when I was in Vietnam, I was a backslider. I gave up on the Lord. The Lord never gave up on me. Hymn 607 says, never alone, no, never alone. I hold that tight. I have never been alone with the Lord. He has always been there for me. He's always been there for Paul. This morning, I was so encouraged again by a young man that gave out a hymn. While many of us sit silent and don't take part in the breaking of bread, a young man that's had so many medical issues and problems, the Holy Spirit worked on his heart to stand up and give out a hymn. The Lord's never done with us. It doesn't matter what our condition is. It doesn't matter how well you feel or how bad you feel. The Lord's not done with you. If you're in his family, you can serve him. It has nothing to do with how good you feel and how well people look at you for what you've done. It's how good they look at the Lord because that is our purpose. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for many blessings been shredded upon us. Father, we just look at uh, what's going on right now. And as one person put it, it's belief in self, love of self. Father, let us love others. Let us share your word with others. Let us give the Lord Jesus Christ credit for everything in our lives that we've done that is good. If it's bad, Father, I'll take credit for what I've done. If it's good, it has nothing to do with me. Father, we pray for this assembly to continue. We pray that Satan knocking on the door is turned away. We pray again for each one in this assembly of believers. Father, we pray for comfort for each one. We pray for opportunities to witness and to share the gospel message, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.